This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Welcome, team, to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Great to have you with me. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. I have to say the uh, stuff I saw from CPAC was encouraging. President Trump certainly gave a Trumpian speech. And there's a lot that the Republican Party has to work with going into the midterms. Biden administration is already pretty disappointing and depressing, which is not a surprise at all when you consider who the actual president of the United States is. But we'll get into all of that in in a moment. Uh, You know, these days, the cyber intrusions and the cyber theft that's going on is really at an all time high. You see this with the ransomware attacks. I can't tell you how many days now I get an email that's clearly some phishing scam. And who knows if they could get me to click on it. Maybe they can get into my company's computer systems and do a lot of damage. And, and then there's just also big tech spying on you. So you have to take action today to secure yourself against this. That's why I want you to know about Secure, S-E-K-U-R. They protect your online data. Secure is perfect for professionals like accountants, tax consultants, and real estate agents who send sensitive financial information. Anyone working with sensitive material or needing privacy has to get secure. They never mind your information like big tech. They are security and privacy focused with instant messaging and email platforms located in Switzerland, the country with the world's strictest data privacy laws. Secure is hailed by privacy advocates globally with the assurance that their data is kept safe by proprietary military-grade encryption methods. Your data belongs to you and should be yours alone. Experience the ultimate comfort of mind in your business and personal life, knowing that your privacy is not in jeopardy from the prying hands of hackers or big tech. Go to secure.com. That's S-E-K-U-R.com. Secure.com. Use the coupon code BUCK for one week free and 25% off. Be sure and use coupon code BUCK, secure.com. Regain your privacy. It's always troubling when you see that the government is trying to break down some of the most intimate and close bonds that we can possibly have. I mean, it should be troubling to everybody when they see something like the latest bulletin out from the FBI. Family members and peers are often best positioned to witness signs of mobilization to violence, help prevent homegrown violent extremism. This, this was their tweet. And then I saw the NCTC, where I'm sure they're very bored these days, the NCTC report on all of this. And uh, it's been, been shared out by the, by the FBI, but it was shared out just this morning. Now, the report is from, is from uh, 2019. Why was this booklet created? It was initially published in 2015 with an updated version in 2017. Now they re-released it in 2019. The booklet describes each indicator in terms of four criteria. Diagnosticity, character, uh, category of behavior, observable by, and time sensitivity. They're trying to tell you how to how to spy on people around you to know if they're a violent extremist. Now, I want to know of the perhaps hundreds, maybe few thousand people who read about this. How many of them are actually going to do anything to stop violent extremism or be in a position to do so? 
No, but the, the FBI wants you to be on the lookout. They, they, they do this now. They, they remind you of it so that you can start to think, well, what is the violent extremism of the moment? Why are we being told this right now? What is the focus of our efforts in the intelligence community and other places? Oh, that's right. It is violent white nationalists, Trump supporters and insurrectionists. So when they have this steady drip, drip, drip of family members and peers are best positioned to witness signs of mobilization and you have that same government apparatus trying to tell everybody that the real problem, the real concern that we should all have is the next insurrection. I think you can see why this is troubling stuff. I think you can see why the otherization, the dehumanization of the right by the Democrat Party is something that should trouble all of us. It certainly troubles me. And increasingly, you don't even see dialogue between the two sides going on. It's just all your if you're a Trump supporter, you're evil. Now, I look around and I see what the Biden administration has done, what it has accomplished, what it has not accomplished. And I say, what the heck is going on here? How can anyone think that this guy is not a total loser and a buffoon? But remember, they're not marking the progress of Biden against the reality of what was happening in this country before Biden came to office. They're not doing that. They're marking it against uh, against Donald Trump being the threat to our republic and the insurrection causing usurper of 2016, the insurrection of 2020. They have convinced themselves, they've convinced each other that he is a great evil, that there could be no greater evil in the Oval Office than Donald Trump. Now, that's an absurdity. It is crazy. But they believe it. And this is the part that I think is so hard for many of us. This is the aspect of this that I view as so troubling for the future, right? Uh, they actually think this stuff is true. That's the part of it that I, I've seen now more clearly than ever before. And you could say, well, Buck, what do you mean? I used to think that they psyched themselves up, that the left at some level knew that the stuff that they were saying about Russia collusion was a lie. You know, but it was the same kind of lie that a really aggressive defense attorney will, will use or prosecutor to undermine a witness, you know, to, to insinuate something they know is not true, but it'll hurt their credibility. And that's their purpose. They don't care that it's not true. No, I think we're dealing now with a mainstream Democrat party that actually believes the most radical rhetoric that it puts forward, that believes this talk about how at any moment in time there could be another insurrection, which is why you have Nancy Pelosi and the rest of the Democrats going along in Congress with this select committee. I mean, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And they're just going to lean into all of it because Trump, they, here, here's an example of it, um, Politico headline from from yesterday, Trump on January 6th insurrection. These were great people. Um, and let's see what else we get. New new details suggest senior Trump officials work to appease leaders of the January 6th insurrection. That's the Milwaukee Independent. I mean, there's stuff about this now every day. You know, New York Magazine had a piece, the chilling message of Trump's embrace of Ashley Babbitt's martyrdom. Trump's insurrection is gaining steam six months after the Capitol attack. That was just a few days ago. 
Donald Trump's January 6th. You see what they're doing? I want to tell you what's happening so that we can all be clear what the narrative is and what they're preparing. Trump's effort to run for office again, should he try, is inherently another act of insurrection. Don't you see? That's what they'll call it. That's why they're labeling everybody an insurrectionist. That's why they're using this term. Because what they'll say is that his entire campaign and everything about it and all that he's gearing up to do, and this this is even going to be said during the midterms. I know that it's a few years away before Trump could even run. But they're preparing the ground now so that they'll, they'll tell you if Trump doesn't win, that, that the whole point is that then he'll call for a real storming of the government and an overthrow. Now, whether we ever even get to that point or not doesn't matter to the left. If in a year, if in six months they abandon this narrative in its entirety, it does not matter to them because it's useful right now. It convinces the Democrat base that the people who disagree with them about our open border and about our crazy government spending and about giving people more money to stay home than to work and about LGBTQ plus indoctrination in, you know, grammar school and the little kids and, to, you know, the trans agenda and critical race theory and all these things. Anyone who opposes all of that is part of another insurrection attempt. Donald Trump running is the insurrection attempt as far as they're concerned. It's illegitimate, you see. It's done under threat of force. And one of the fascinating parts about all this is that the last election was done under the quite explicit threat of force by Democrats. What was all the boarding up of stores and people preparing for riots all over America on Election Day 2020 that didn't actually happen? The riots didn't happen. What was, what was that all about? Well, because it was quite clear that Biden voters planned to loot, riot, pillage and destroy if they didn't get their way. Now, that also has an impact on the psyche of people who are undecided, independents. You want to talk about affecting turnout. What do you do if you're somebody who lives in a suburb of Philadelphia and you don't want to see Philadelphia have whole city blocks burned down? Because Donald Trump won re-election, maybe you don't maybe you just don't show up and vote for Trump. You know, if you live in Milwaukee and you happen to be a Trump supporter, maybe you don't cast your vote for him in, in you know in the critical state of Wisconsin in twenty twenty because you don't want to see whole neighborhoods burned down. It's not worth it to you to get Trump elected, right? You can see how this mindset could have very much affected the outcome of the and it was it was the quite clear threat of force behind it. That's what that is. HuffPost, five days ago. Six months later, Republicans have a new January 6th message. Insurrection? What insurrection? How can you have an insurrection, which is an attempt to overthrow the government? How can you have an insurrection where there is no, no actual faint possibility of a use of force to over- overcome government force and seize power? Anywhere they couldn't they couldn't have even done it in the Capitol. They wanted to. But they this is what they do. This is what they say. And this is also why I was so angry about what happened that day, because I knew that it was handing a huge propaganda victory to the And it did. It handed a huge propaganda victory to the Democrats. This is why we keep hearing about it. But understand what I'm telling you now. Trump running 
they will claim and they will act like is another act. Trump running for president will be treated as a an insurrection in progress. Every step, every stage, every dollar given to it is illegitimate and meant to overthrow the government by using the system and lawfully exercising his rights as an American citizen to run for office. Trump will be threatening the system. That's what they'll say. So at least you won't be surprised when it happens. Get get ready for it, because that is what's coming. You know, there's the drink Cuba Libre, um, which is what is it? Rum, sugar, mint. Wait, am I getting it wrong? Actually, I, what, what, what is in a Cuba Libre? Um, it has. Yeah, rum. Oh, no, it's rum and Coke. Really? That's it. I guess I was confusing with them with kind of a mojito like thing. Uh, yeah, Cuba Libre just has rum and Coke. That's not really a very exciting drink, but it'll get it done. I mean, you know, if you're a sorority girl and you want to get you want to get uh, lit and you have a few of those and you'll be good to go. Throw a little lime in there to make it look fancy. Anyway, Cuba Libre, uh, Cuban liberty, Cuban freedom. It's not a real thing, unfortunately. The drink is in that sense, poorly, uh, poorly named. Um. The origins are allegedly the back to the year 1900, actually, U.S. Army captain stationed in Havana during the Spanish-American War. He added Coca-Cola and a little lime juice to a to Bacardi rum, tossed his Cuban comrades or toasted rather his Cuban comrades and said, poor Cuba Libre to a free Cuba. So that's where the drink actually comes from. But will there actually be a free Cuba? Well, it's an interesting question today because of what we are seeing Um on the streets of Havana and many, many places, many areas, town, cities across Cuba. And these are the biggest protests that anyone has really seen in in living memory. I mean, there were some protests back in the 90s that also got a fair amount of attention. I mean, there was uh, back in 1994 when Fidel Castro was still alive. Cubans took the streets to protest and it was called the Malaconazo but that only really happened in the capital city in Havana. And Castro used it as an opportunity to just take people and, and create an exodus. He opened Cuba's maritime borders and sent all these folks uh, out on boats and rafts, essentially as expel the dissidents in the Balsero crisis. So that was how it was handled then. How will this be handled now? Um, that's. That's something that nobody really has a particularly good answer to. Freedom. Thousands of Cubans take to the streets to demand the end of dictatorship. The end of dictatorship. Um, now, you'll see something very interesting here. Democrats who claim that they have no particular interest in fighting back. I'm sorry, no particular interest in backing communism. Have no fondness for it. And it's a smear to say the Democrat Party has some allegiance to ideological or emotional allegiance to communism in any way, you'll see plenty of Democrats who are just like, oh, it's just because of COVID. And, and by transitive property of Democrat craziness, what's going on in Cuba will even be turned by some into, oh, U.S. foreign policy prevents them from having the healthcare system that is necessary to deal with COVID. So it's really our fault that the COVID crisis is hitting Cuba and therefore, it's not really the regime that's at issue. It's America. You'll see dance like that happening from uh, from Democrats who pretend that they don't love Cuba, but they do. And when I, I don't mean the people or the island because it's a beautiful island, actually great people. 
I mean the regime. They have real feeling of fondness for the Cuban regime. And they know that it hasn't worked. And they look at it and say, if communism can't work on an island with total cultural and, and you know, social unity in terms of language and history, and you know, there's not a lot of diversity in Cuba in the last uh, 60 years, and it's been the same for a long time. Uh, if it can't work there, where, where is it going to work? If it can't work in the shadow of the safety, uh, relatively speaking, created by the world's greatest superpower next door, and I know people would say, oh, but what about the, uh, the embargo? Well, we, we have not blockaded them. We have not prevented them from being able to trade with the rest of the world. That's on them. Um, and, of course, this, some of this was loosened a little bit by the Obama administration. But people have finally had enough. And this would be a perfect opportunity, a perfect opportunity for the Biden administration to come forward and say that this is um, this is what we want to see. We want the Cuban people to demand their freedom. We back them. We support them. We stand beside them, at least in spirit. And, you know, we love that there are American flags that these uh, Cuban dissidents, these protesters are flying down with communism and freedom. They're chanting. Uh, they're chanting Patria y Vida, homeland and life. That's their battle cry because there's a revolutionary slogan, homeland or death, and they're, they're turning that around. They want better lives. People actually want to live in a place where they have access to you know, good food, clean water, freedom to speak their minds, freedom to enjoy their lives, private property. This is why society exists. When society cannot provide those things, society ceases to be a worthwhile endeavor for a lot of folks. They want a different society. And the way that these places, these situations are held together is by brute force, which is the case in Cuba. I mean, it's a country that has murdered, tortured, enslaved and immiserated people for 60 plus years now. And the Democrats have nothing but but victimology and whining about America to offer for the most part because Democrats are socialists by by emotion. Uh, they, they would prefer, sure, right now America's capitalist and they like to benefit from it, but if they could snap their fingers and make America a socialist country tomorrow, a lot of Democrats would do it. I would offer a majority of the Democrat Party, if they could do that, would. That's different from saying they're pushing for that every day in Congress because they know that that actually hurts their power because a majority of the American people are not with them. But if Democrats could make America a socialist country, they would. And they see a lot of virtue in communism. The path to hell is paved with good intentions and the path to misery is paved with communism. And they simply don't care about the results. They care about what the what was tried. And this is why you have propagandistic morons like Michael Moore who make movies that are supposed to be documentaries. It's just an, it's just a video editorial, like the same crap you could read on the HuffPo or Salon.com or any of these other places full of idiot limbs. I mean, increasingly what you're seeing because of COVID, actually, I believe, is that the, the left really is this is a, a anxiety disorder that to be a woke leftist in America today means that you actually suffer from uh, clinical issues. You are not able to see the world as it is and you live with exaggerated fears and concerns and are not able to balance what is important from what is not. I, I'm being I'm not trying to be funny or provocative. I'm being serious. I actually think that 
to be a leftist in America today is to be suffering from an anxiety, an anxiety and depression disorder of some kind. Because every every true leftist that I know also, I mean, the ones that are really true believers are um, are pretty miserable. I could maybe think of a few exceptions, but very, very few. They tend to be very miserable people. And I think that's also why they focus on if you're an American and, and you're always obsessed with socialism, if you're an American and you praise the Cuban regime and think that they've got something figured out, think of all the amazing things in this country that you have to overlook. Think of all the absurdity you have to embrace in order to come to that conclusion. And, and I think it becomes manifest very quickly that, yeah, yeah, it's an anxiety disorder. And I'm saying anxiety. I don't know what you, you know, maybe it's some kind of a disassociative disorder. I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but it's these people have mental health issues, which is also why they think they need to share their pronouns all the time. and They have to do all these things. I mean, what normal person thinks that they have to announce their pronouns? Uh, these are the same people that think that if they're even if they've had the disease and they're vaccinated against covid um they should you know double mask outside i was outside today lots not a majority but plenty of people walking around outdoors masks on in new york city i'd say 10 percent, maybe maybe you know which which is way better than it was but there's still a lot of people who are frankly absurd anyway back to cuba and what's and what's going on in cuba um, people are just sick of it. They're tired of it, and they finally take into the streets. The government uh, is probably going to get very ugly with all of this. The government is probably going to do some really nasty things. And uh, in Havana, according to Miami Herald here, about 300 people close to the government gathered near the Capitol building shouting slogans in favor of the late President Fidel Castro and Diaz-Canel some people from the group assaulted an Associated Press cameraman, disabling his camera while an AP photographer was injured by the police. Uh, on Twitter, Cuban Foreign Minister Bruno Rodriguez suggested the protests were or- orchestrated by the U.S. President Diaz-Canal B. is in San Antonio with De Los Baños with the revolutionary people that are mobilized against the imperialist campaign and its salaried agents. We appreciate the international solidarity and C- Cubans living abroad. Um, this is uh, this is absurd, right? This is absurd. This is what we see happening in a place where the, the, the fallback is always it's America's fault. It's America's problem. We're the we're the ones making this stuff happen. We're the ones that are that are causing this issue. And and the Cuban regime plays into that, too. They, they will say things that are just frankly nuts and it does not matter to them uh, that it's so manifestly absurd and crazy it just it just doesn't matter to them at all it's just sort of what it sounds like on the streets of havana right now by the way here's marco rubio talking about what he sees going on people in the street protesting and they've been chanting we are not afraid and why are they in the street they're in the street because they seek freedom what they seek to do basically is to live in a normal country what they're tired of is having to be the people that can only achieve their dreams by going somewhere else why can cubans achieve all kinds of things all over the world including here in the united states but they can't do it inside of cuba they're tired of living under tyranny and they're tired of they're living under incompetent leaders that's what the cuban regime is 
because socialism and Marxism doesn't work. It's a failure. It's a failure everywhere it's been tried and it's having a catastrophic impact on the people of Cuba. Nothing to do with the embargo, nothing to do with everything else, anything else. It has to do with the fact that these tyrants are also incompetent and socialism, Marxism, communism, it doesn't work. It doesn't work anywhere. Now, we've already had reports that the Cuban military and the police are in the street, that they're out there to, to hurt these people and, and, and to crack down on them. Let me tell you something, a couple things. First of all, don't do it. Do not go after your own family members, your cousins, your uncles, your aunts, the people you grew up with, your brothers, your sisters, your own blood. All these people want us to live in a normal country where their own dreams and their own hopes can become reality, where they were born, where they are from, that's what they want. And the second thing that people need to know is we're not living in the 60s and 70s anymore. Now we know everyone's first name and their last name. There will be nowhere to hide. If you're out there hurting these people and participating in this crackdown, we're going to know who you are when you try to come into the U.S. three years from now on vacation. We're going to know who you are when you decide Cuba's no longer for you and you try to come into the U.S. and, and gain you know, asylum here. And you're going to one day have to face justice in a free Cuba. And I hope the U.S. media and the global media are paying attention and give this coverage. Co give coverage to the fact that there are people in the street in Cuba because they do not want to live under Marxism and communism and socialism anymore. They want freedom. They want freedom, political freedom, but they want economic freedom. They want the ability to live their lives as they choose. Cover it because it's happening. Do not ignore it. We're certainly covering it here. Cuba is the issue that Marco Rubio, Senator Rubio, is uh, strongest on. I will say that. He's always been strong on it. He because it's near and dear to him for obvious reasons. And what he's saying is all true there. You know, I just went and visited a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, uh, when I was in Miami the last time, who uh, was a mentor to me for years when I was in the government. And uh, I have some great times and great stories with him. He was at the Bay of Pigs. He was captured. He was uh, ransomed back by the United States government. And he tells this great story where he says he was he realized he wanted to go right into the United States military. And he was with some of his friends and he was at a restaurant and he asked a waitress who was walking by. He said he saw a very he said a very lovely young young female waitress was walking by and he said, hey, who do you think who do you think has the most handsome uniform? That's what he said. And she said this is the story he tells. And she said, uh, oh, I like the Marines. And I think they look so handsome in their in their dress uniforms. So he he promptly uh, joined the Marines. He served in Vietnam. This guy has stories like you would not believe, and, and among them, being at at the uh, at the Bay of Pigs and being there on the beach when he he just views it as a massive betrayal by Kennedy and by the American uh, political class. Um. I saw him and I talked to him a little bit about about Cuba and what he thinks is going on there most recently. Uh, unfortunately, he's he's starting to get a little foggy. It was actually very hard. It was hard in that sense to go see him because here's somebody that I've known for so long and is such a dear friend. And he's um, you know, he's in his 80s now. And uh, and he's he's just he's just a little foggy. He's he was good, but it's tough, tough to see somebody that you've viewed as a as a mentor and really a hero uh, start to. You know, just get old to the point where they need a little help. They need a little more support. Um, but anyway, he, he was at the Bay of Pigs, and I've spoken to him many times over the years just about the evils of the communist regime. And I'll tell you this, people in this country who aren't Cuban just have no idea. They don't, they don't understand how bad it really got. They don't understand how vicious and evil and brutal 
Castro and Guevara and these people, um, they don't they don't understand how terrible they were. Honestly, uh, that's the part of it that gets left out because in America, our you know academics are so often Marxists and they find a way to be sympathetic to it. Um, I'm not sitting here saying that we should, you know, land the 82nd Airborne or we should send a Marine Expeditionary Force or anything like that into Cuba. This is for the Cuban people to sort out. But I, I do think we should at least stand in real solidarity with them. And in no uncertain terms, let them be know, let, let them know that the second they get rid of these thuggish kleptocrats running the, uh, the Cuban government, the American people, man, we, we want to turn Cuba we, we want to be best friends with the Cuban people. We want to turn Cuba into a, a place that people want to live and work and play and be and go and everything else. And it wouldn't be hard. It's got a, there's, a lot, there's a lot going for it. The reason it's been immiserated is because of the people in charge. They get rid of those people, be a whole new start for that island. And, I mean, the, you see what's happened in other countries that have embraced Rule of law and free market capitalism. You see what's happened in, say, South Korea over the last 50 years. You see what's happened in Taiwan. You see when places choose rule of law and markets and incentives over revolutionary dictatorship or, you know, the government of, quote, the, you know, the workers. It's never actually the workers who run these governments, of course. Um, we've run the experiment. We've seen what the results are. I, I really do hope for the people of Cuba. Um, and as I was just telling you, some of, some of whom, some of the Cubans who fled Cuba have become my, my very, among my very dearest friends. But I hope the Cubans still in Cuba are able to get rid of this oppressive, tyrannical lunacy that has been uh, forced upon them. Do I think the Biden administration is going to do the right thing here, say the right thing? No. No, because there are far too many Democrats, unfortunately, who are sympathetic to communism and Marxism, if not openly Marxist themselves. And they don't like to see another another authoritarian collectivist regime taken off the uh, the chessboard. They want as many as they can have. But what I wanted to get your reaction to is the crowd cheering when this gentleman talks about how the government was not able to achieve a 90 percent vaccine goal. The crowd cheers. Um, as a public health official, what's your reaction when you hear that? It's, it's, it's horrifying. I mean, they're cheering about someone saying that it's a good thing for people not to try and save their lives. I mean, if you just unpack that for a second, Jake, it, it, it's almost frightening to say, hey, guess what? We don't want you to do something to save your life. Yay! Everybody starts screaming and, and clapping. I just don't get that. I mean, I, and I don't think that anybody who's thinking clearly can get that. What is that all about? I, I don't understand that, Jake. Fauci is a little fascist. I think you understand that. This guy is a nightmare. He's the absolute worst. And I've been saying it now for over a year. Uh, yeah. Do, do I think that it's not great optics when people are cheering for the uh, not hitting the vaccination goal? Yeah, because Democrats are going to turn around and act like that means people don't want to be protected from COVID. What they leave out of this is, no, they just don't want the government to force everyone, five-year-olds, eight-year-olds, the hundred million people who have already had COVID, like me. There's a hundred million plus of us out there. A lot of them have already gotten vac vaccinated with 
No apparent good reason for that. And you know, now they're talking about top off shots, you know, get another shot here, another shot there. We don't want the government ruining everyone's lives by pretending they're saving lives when they're not. That's really what this comes down to. But Fauci refuses to see what's going on here. He still just believes that there are people who are just dumb dums. They don't believe in science and there's no reason for this. And, you know, they just watch too much Fox News. Play 11. It's an inexplicable pushing back on the part of some people about getting vaccinated. I heard it when you were talking just a while ago to the to the congressman about the idea of people saying that government is knocking on your door trying to force you to vaccinate. That is not the case at all. We're getting trusted messages to try and get people to understand and appreciate why it's important for their own safety, for that of their families, and for the community in general. There's no reason not to get vaccinated. You make a very good point. There are places in the world, many places, where the vaccination availability is practically nil. Those people would do anything to get a vaccine. We in the United States have enough vaccinations to give to everybody in the country. And they're life-saving. I mean, we've got to put aside this ideological difference or differences thinking that somebody's forcing you to do something. The public health officials, like myself and my colleagues, are asking you to do something that will ultimately save your life. See, that's just not true. For 99% of people of any age, the vaccine's not going to save their life because they're actually not at risk of dying from the virus in the first place. But the, see, they, they just they exaggerate. They don't deal with the nuances. They give no Fauci gives no deference. I, I could care less about your freedom. You can take your freedom, your individual choice, your running of your own life, and you can stuff it as far as he's concerned. And this is not going to stop. I told you they're not going to stop my the coffee shop on my corner still requires masks, even though New York City says Masks for the vaccinated are not necessary indoors. And I, I'm not bringing that up like, oh, woe is me, my coffee shop. I'm just saying it's still out there. I get on a plane. I have to wear a mask. I get out there. I get told, you know, you've got to be vaccinated. And they're fighting back against this. They want a regime where people can go door to door and check on you. They want you to have a little uh, a little barcode that they can scan to see if you've actually gotten vaccinated. And if you question it, you have to deal with the wrath of Saki Bomb and others who are saying that your questioning of any of this is killing people. Play five. Well, let me first say that the failure to provide accurate public health information, including the efficacy of vaccines and the accessibility of them uh, to people across the country, including South Carolina, is literally killing people. So maybe they should consider that. But I would say that what this is and what is it is not, this is not federal employees going door to door. This is grassroots volunteers. This is members of the clergy. These are volunteers who believe that people across the country, especially in low vaccinated areas, should have 
have accurate information, should have information about where they can get vaccinated, where they can save their own lives and their neighbors' lives and their family members' lives. That's exactly what this is. It's something that's been going on since April, and it's something where we've seen an impact in states where there are lower vaccination rates. So it is something we will continue to uh, to work with local groups to do, and it's a disservice to the country and to the people who may lose their lives, who may lose family members, to provide inaccurate disinformation at a moment where we're still fighting a pandemic. I mean, this is, it's never going to be enough. You guys get that, right? It's never going to be enough in terms of vaccination. No one thinks these vaccines last forever. They're talking about the variants. So, and they're never going to get to 100% vaccination. And they don't believe herd, they don't believe herd immunity can be achieved by a combination of vaccination and natural infection, which of course they're wrong about, but they don't care. Do what they say. Do what they say. That's all this really comes down to. Do what you are told. There are people who have a COVID anxiety disorder mixed with a virtue signaling obsession around COVID, and you must cater to their whims or else. I say no. I mean, this is a podcast, so I can say whatever I want now in terms of curses, but I say go, you know, go blank yourself, Libs. We've heard it all. People have had plenty of opportunity. People at high risk should get vaccinated. The rest of us should be left the hell alone. That's it. Enough. But they won't do it. They won't do it. They, they like the sense of, of urgency for their power. And that's what it really comes down to. Thanks for being here with me, folks. Back with you tomorrow. Please make sure to pass the buck. As you see here, we cover a lot in a short period of time on the Buck Sexton Show podcast and uh, going to continue to be doing it. So tell folks about it. That's the best way to spread the word. And make sure you go and check in at BuckSexton.com. we got news stories there, writing editorials. Last week, my editorial was, if you haven't read it, go check it out. The uh, Anybody who believes January 6th is an insurrection is an idiot. And I really get into why. That's at BuckSexton.com. So uh, please also, if you have not, give me a rating on Apple Podcasts of five stars, please, and a review for this podcast, The Buck Sexton Show, uh, because we want to make sure that we stay high enough in the rankings that we appear in, sh- in search. And I know you might think, oh, Buck, you're on the biggest radio show in the country and you got a podcast there. Yeah, but I love this. I love doing this, too. And I want to keep doing it and I want our numbers to keep growing here because this is where you just get the buck never stopping. Well, I guess I'm about to stop, so that doesn't make sense. But, you know, this is where the buck is unleashed. Buck wild. Talk to you all tomorrow. Shields high.